What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The following podcast contains explicit language. All right, so I ran and got my recorder mm-hmm. because Ben, say hi to the people, Ben. Hey, people. Um, started pouring a drink. <laughs> it was supposed to be a gin margarita. And then what happened? Well, because I thought, so I thought we... We're, we're in this like Airbnb and Superfly, think cribs And so the first thing that I do Is of course raid the pantry Just to <laughs> see what, the, basically just the stuff that other people Left and I found A mostly drunk bottle of gin And what I thought Was margarita mix in the pantry But it turns out it was not margarita mix It is actually like Pre-mixed margarita um, And I didn't find that out until after I had poured them The reason why this is documentary worthy it's because everyone I've talked to have said, be careful how much you drink out there. <laughs> the altitude will really mess you up. <laughs> You're going to get really drunk really quickly. So it's ironic a little bit that the first drink I have is a drink that's stronger than I expected it to be. Yeah, well, put, to put you in the mood, I guess. Okay, well, here we go. Wait, cheers. Cheers. Okay. <laughs> I oh my god, time. this is dangerously like easy to drink. Easy right? to drink. Hey everyone, this is Aisha. It is Wednesday, January 24th. We are in our very lovely house that we're <laughs> <laughs> Airbnb house that we're renting here at Sundance along with Marilyn. Hey Marilyn. Hi. And Dana Stevens is here with me, our Slate's lovely movie critic. Hi Aisha. Welcome Dana. Wait, is this the first time you've been on our show? No, I did a segment before. I can't remember that's what right. it was on. No, Harvey Weinstein. Oh yes, oh, yeah, we talked right. about Weinstein. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome back. Yes, I, I have to correct you with home. This is better than a home. We're in like a chalet <laughs> or a lodge or something like that. This place is beautiful. This is so true. And the mountains are right behind us and it's snowy and it just feels like it's straight out of like a Folgers commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and we're actually here at Sundance because Dana and I, along with Julia Turner and Steve Metcalf from the Culture Gap Fest, did a live show together. And folks will actually hear after we have this nice little lovely banter about our experience at Sundance, our interview with Sebastian Silva, who's a filmmaker who directed Tyrell, which is here at Sundance this year. Um, so yes, this is my first time in Utah, but I understand that both of you have been here before. So I thought it would be interesting for our listeners to kind of get a sense of what it means to be a film critic at Sundance. Um, Aisha, do you want to start? So you've been here once before. Well, I think Dana's been here more than I have, right? This is only my second time. Oh, the, so the this previous is my time, time I went, I was a judge. So I had a very unusual, like, strange experience of Sundance that's nothing like attending it as a festival goer or a critic, really. Right. So I think we're actually both kind of on the same page because the last time I came, I was doing interviews, but we didn't have this podcast. We were actually here to do like video interviews, myself and my colleague Forrest Wickman. And um, that was interesting. It was really, it was a whirlwind. We were doing a lot more interviews then. We had an amazing booker, shout out to Raquel, uh, who basically just got us tons of people. Even we had some people who we planned to interview ahead of time before we got to Sundance. And they... um, you know, we had those set up. But then once we got there, it was like, oh, there's more people here. Like, we wound up interviewing um, Guns N' Roses slash 
We wound up interviewing Slash because he like just happened to be around the corner, <laughs> and a publicist was like, "Hey, Slash would love to talk about like horror movies. He loves to talk about horror movies." And so we were like, "Sure, we have time to talk to Slash for ten minutes." That's and so nice. like we talked to Slash. It was it was fun. So is that what Sundance is like? Like you just see celebrities everywhere? I guess you you I'm. Yes, I haven't seen that many since being here, but we also are kind of midweek. We only got here on Monday, and most of like the big stuff tends to happen on the week, the first weekend, and maybe even the second weekend. I think a lot of celebrities have left, but yes, if you go, especially if you go to certain movies premieres, there will be just packed like wall to wall with famous people, and that's what happened last time. I went to a few, and it was like, oh, there's. I don't know. I can't remember what movies I saw at Sundance. This was 2015. It was a long time ago. But there were a lot of famous people. I don't know about you, Dana. I'm so bad at celebrity spotting. <laughs> Whether here or in the streets of New York or anywhere, I'm always walking down the block and the person with me says, oh my God, so-and-so is right behind us and I don't see the person. So we could be surrounded by famous people right now and I wouldn't be noticing. And what does it mean to be a judge at Sundance? Uh, well, it was it was this very VIP experience, which was nice, but it was also extremely sheltered. They're really, really paranoid about, understandably, about any information leaking out. And I was the judge in the dramatic category, which is kind of, you know, the big prize. And so they kept us very cloistered. You weren't supposed to talk about the movies in any non-closed space, basically. You couldn't, uh-huh. for example, go with your fellow judges to a cafe after a movie and talk about it because somebody who worked on that movie could be sitting right there. Wow. Um, so the idea was you either have to be in a hotel room where no one can hear you or inside a closed car. So that was, I got to know the, the other judges very well, which was fun. But really all there is time to do when you're judging at a film festival is see the movies you're judging and you know talk about them with your fellow judges. So it wasn't really the experience of going to Sundance and sort of, being caught up in that whirlwind, which which seems exhausting, but also exciting. That's because that's the experience where you don't know what's going to happen, right? You could interview Slash, or you could suddenly <laughs> run, jump into a movie that you'd never heard of and have to see the best movie of your life. Yeah, yeah. It's those like surprises are always fun. I don't know if I've had that yet, that experience yet, but I've heard, I know people who go to this every year and they are like, yeah, I, I go into a movie and because it's a festival, most of these movies have not been anywhere else. So like you have little to go by except maybe who made it or who's in it. And then you go in and it's like a huge, it can be a huge surprise. It could be a huge letdown. It could be uh, just something, a pleasant time in the theater. It could be all those things. And Sundance in particular, maybe because it's early in the year and it kicks off the movie year is sort of known for its, uh, energy and sometimes over enthusiasm of audiences, right? I mean, you know, this phenomenon, there's movies that people swoon over at Sundance, and then either they never get a deal and never get bought, Mm -hmm. or they come out and they bomb, or they come out and they're poorly reviewed. But they had all this energy when when this this audience was psyched up to see them at Sundance. What is, why is that? Because I remember, I know like even The Birth of a Nation, like was it Sundance that they got like a lot of uh, praise and we thought it was going to be like this mega hit? That's well, a good yeah. example. Got a standing ovation. I mean, of course with that movie it's different because of all, everything that rolled out yeah. after the movie. Yeah. All of which actually could have been known before the movie but no one talked about it until mm. the release. Well, you have to remember when that happened. It was 2016 and we were coming off of our second wave of Oscars So White. Um, so it premiered right around like the climate there was like oh this movie could save us <laughs> it can it can be like the savior this is the movie that we've been waiting for that like will solve the oscars mm, next year and obviously mm. that was incredibly premature and i think that's the huge main reason why that got a standing ovation before anyone had even seen it. So let's talk a little bit about Utah itself. I know before I got here, everyone was telling me like, don't drink because of the altitude. And I've definitely felt like just walking up 
like Main Street, which is like the Main Street where all the theaters is. I like Aisha. First of all, we went to lunch yesterday, and she took us to like the furthest restaurant ever, which was like up a hill that kept going. Okay, in the in New York <laughs> terms, that would just be an, an avenue. No, no, but it, it, I understand it that like, it was uphill. It was like three avenues. It was one avenue. <laughs> it was not that far. Anyway, but maybe it's the oxygen. <laughs> but it is the it oxygen. Is. It is the oxygen. It was. It totally was. As soon as I got there and I sat down, walk, walking down wasn't bad at all. I, I, I breezed by it. It's funny like i don't it's been three years since the last time i was here but the altitude hasn't affected me as much the second time even though it's been a while i i do still get lightheaded but i don't get out of breath like i did last time i was here so yeah i don't it's just not affecting me in that way so maybe this next time you come it'll it'll be be better better. (laughs) what about you I haven't felt it in terms of breathing. Um, I'm curious if whether either of you noticed it with drinking. They say that it goes to your head faster and you shouldn't get drunk at Sundance because... Well, I'm much more conscious of of drinking water while drinking alcohol than I usually am here because it does... I think it does contribute to the lightheadedness even more, so... I I guess, is there... So, a lot of the movies you're seeing now, they're not going to come out... How like how long does it take? Sometimes it could be the same year. This is 2018. Sometimes it'll be longer than that, right? I think it's rare that it's longer than a year. I mean, right? certainly the filmmakers come here hoping that it's going to be bought for this year. But because this is such a big industry festival, it really wildly varies, right? Yeah. I mean, there are things that are big hits at Sundance that get big deals and they're saved to be Oscar movies. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, that would probably be the dream of the filmmaker here, right? Your movie right. gets bought and it gets held for release until November, December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I don't think, yeah, it. I feel like most, of, well, not most, but a lot of them get bought and then are usually rolled out within the first six months of the year. So you're, the movies that you're seeing now, they probably won't come out, not going to come out next month, right? So how do you write about it? How do you talk to people about it? Like It's the kind of thing like you've seen it and no one else has. And so like if, if I got really excited about something and I know that I can't talk to anybody about it in depth, that would make me kind of sad. Um, so how do you both deal with that? Well, for Slate, I mean, maybe Aisha can answer this more than me because she's doing some actual coverage from this festival, right? You're yeah. doing some actual <clears throat> writing on films. I'm planning to. Yeah, I haven't yet, but yes. But whereas this time I'm here for a live show and if I see movies, I'll probably just bank them to to write about later on. Um, I mean, Slate is not hugely interested in festival coverage per se. We're not an industry film industry magazine mm-hmm. and there's not a huge amount of interest for readers in reading about a movie you don't know when you can see. Right? Yeah, I mean, Sam Adams, one of our uh, culture editors, he also was at Sundance. He was here on the earlier part. Um, and I know he's written at least two or three pieces Um but one of them was a Q&A with a, a director, I believe. And then another one was like about the one movie that I think a lot of people are talking about. This movie, The Tale, which I'm hoping I can see, although it's not showing, I think, before we leave. It, it's about a woman wrestling with sexual abuse. And he basically, like it shocked people, apparently, like audiences are really loving it. And so he wrote about it. In that it's a sense. Laura Dern movie, right? Yes, Laura Dern is in it. And the, the director is a woman. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's things like that, where we'll do that coverage. Or if there's like an interesting Q&A after a screening, we might cover that. So but it's but we don't do like generally straight up reviews of movies because no one is going to be able to see them. We save them for later places like variety and the Hollywood reporter, like trade magazines do. Um, And then like, they also, I guess, republish them once the movie comes out. But 
we're not a trade magazine. So, and our, that's not our audience. Our audience doesn't really want to read a review about something they haven't seen, um, unless it's like a very specific, like mm-hmm. cultural moment. Sort and for of thing. me, I don't love festival reviews. I mean, when you look at a yeah. review of a movie in one of those trade papers and you see, oh, this was written nine months ago at Cannes or something like that, it to me takes away a little bit from the value of the review. And also means that the writing was probably rushed and the person didn't have any time to prep or research. And, and finally, are there any themes? I'm looking at one of the movies Sam Adams covered, um, a documentary in which everything is a lie, and there's a picture of a Trump doll and a man drinking alcohol in front of him. And even the films that I've seen had either a very specific, this happened post-Trump, right? So are you seeing any other themes? Are you noticing the same theme that I'm seeing? I mean, from the little I've seen so far, really, I've just seen the movie Tyrell that we ta- we talk mm. about in the in the live podcast. And that very explicitly, it's the first movie I've seen that, you know, explicitly incorporates the uh, the the election and um, and has people talking about it it's not an allegory or mm-hmm. you know a hint or a suggestion they just straight up talk about it but i don't know if that's going to be a theme across the festival or not i would imagine that that's going to be something over the next year whether it was in time for this particular festival or not but something that a lot of filmmakers try to turn to mm-hmm. also i think i mean as everywhere right now i think representation is going to be a huge question and maybe the tale for example this movie directed by a woman that's about somebody revisiting their childhood sexual abuse seems like a movie that's very much of the moment and I can imagine it getting a good deal here and Mm. being something people really want to see. Yeah. And the thing about that is that like, I'm sure that movie was like, has been in the works for a while and the Me Too movement as we know it now did not really like, it didn't exist until about October. So it's, it's funny how that timing works out. It, It feels sort of, uh, in the same vein as Get Out coming out right after Trump's election. It's like, it, it, it just, coincided very nicely with like this this moment that we were having in a way that I'm sure the filmmakers could not have anticipated because mm. even if you don't I mean in this current Me Too moment as it exists Trump was still elected as someone that w- like had several sexual assault allegations right Cosby I think was on the minds of a lot of people yeah it, I mean it's not like it's new but I think yeah. obviously we were at least for the Cosby thing kind of came and went. And I don't remember many people paying that much attention to the trial when it was happening and over the summer, last summer. Um, but I'm, I imagine that this summer there will be more attention being paid to that stuff in the wake of the Me Too stuff. Well, thank you both for sharing your Sundance knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, our, well, it's not a wrap from Sundance because you'll be hearing a segment of our live podcast next. But thank you so much, Dana. Oh, thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Up next, you'll hear Dana and I's conversation with Sebastian Silva, the director of Tyrell, from our live podcast that was sponsored by Dropbox. Also, there's a clip that we played at the live show in which the star of the movie, Jason Mitchell, is coerced into playing this very uncomfortable drinking game. Unfortunately, we weren't able to include it in this episode, but you can just imagine it and you'll probably hear it referenced by Sebastian Silva. So Tyrell is the latest film from filmmaker Sebastian Silva, known for his 2009 film, The Maid, which also had its premiere here at Sundance. 
In it, Tyler, played by Jason Mitchell, tags along with his friend for a weekend birthday trip in the Catskills. Tyler is the only black person there amongst the group of buddies, and things become uncomfortable real quick. We have uh, Sebastian Silva here to discuss Tyrell, so I'll bring him up now. Come on up. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Yeah, welcome. So as you might have been able to tell from the the description, uh, and I think you've probably heard this several times, but um, the premise of the film feels a little bit like Get Out, uh, another oh, yeah. movie. Many times. Yes, yes, you, you've you've heard this before. Um, in terms of the you know black soul black person going up into the woods and bad scary shit happens. Uh, so what do you, what would you say to those who might dismiss it, uh, dismiss your movie and say, oh, it just sounds like Get Out? Like, what about it? Um, you know, makes it different and 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 encourage everyone to go go see your movie because I think it's worth seeing. I think whatever I say compared to Get Out is going to make people go less. Um, it's very, it, it it's is very because, different. Like, I mean, like, listen, like there's people that's got what I was trying to do and some people that has uh, ex- had ex- expected a little bit, a little bit more for a payoff. Like I, that's kind of like the press being slightly divided by like, what is the payoff of this movie, which is like, a weakening of alienation of Ty- of Tyler in a um, and the alienation is set up by something that he does, which is like right after that scene they keep on they're playing this game, uh, making uh, saying that phrase with different accents, and when it comes black accent, it turns into like they're like, come on, dude, be more specific, right? And they're like, he says, okay, a black uh, woman from New Orleans, like an older black woman from New Orleans, and he's like, okay, and then they start like kind of passing the ball around until like Tyler does it himself, and he overdoes it, right? So he he when after he does this accent and overdoes it and like it's uh, too funny right and then he feels that he betrayed himself and that's when he be, he starts spiraling into this sort of identity crisis um that is triggered by his in his mind own betrayal of his community for instance you know and then uh, and the movie uh, and the movie just uh, follows his um his journey of alienation and uh uh this identity crisis without ever coming to a resolution, which is what I find uh, the most upsetting. Because there isn't, or it doesn't seem to be a resolution for this problem. And the movie, it's subtle, you know, like nobody is, uh, I'm not pointing fingers, like I'm sort of kind of in my mind as a foreigner too, I'm sort of exposing a a wound that you can uh, sense in, uh, in America, you know? And um, that is the one where it's a, a total claustrophobe for somebody like Tyler. You know, that he feels alienated and paranoid and he's not exactly sure exactly sure why. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, being, you're, you're from Chile and, and what, what drew you to wanting to write about this sort of discomfort from the, uh, from the perspective of a black man, a yeah. black American man? Right. Um, well, that's something like for a black American man, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's Tyler. He's not a black man. I mean, he is a black man, but he's also Tyler before he's a black man. And that's why the movie is called that. And it's called Tyrell, because like somebody calls him that in the beginning, kind of goes unnoticed. But that's a microaggression. And the movie itself, or its title, it's a microaggression. And then a microaggression like that, you 
the movie guess it invites you to ask yourself if that could be forgiving or at least contextualize and and understand like what's the level of uh what's the intention of that and what much how much intentions uh, play part in 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 the microaggressions you know etc but going back to your question uh it was uh, i was with a friend in cuba um at the beach and there was like this group of um 20 years something all the kids from America drinking rum at the bottle and being loud, playing frisbee. And one of them was black. And um, it seemed that he felt he was very um, kind of alienating and following behind. And at some point I was like, oh, look, he's not as drunk. And then he was very drunk and it looked like he was pretending to be drunk. And that could have been anybody. And it would just be somebody that was feeling awkward at that time with a group of people. But the fact that he was black, it added a whole new layer to his discomfort. And I think that's when the wound, the wound that I'm talking about comes to the surface, you know, that it's not only that, it can never be only that he's feeling uncomfortable because maybe he drank too much or they were weird to him. It's always gonna be that layer, like the race factor, you know, and, it's, and it could be very confusing, I assume, you know, and, and it is very confusing for Tyler in this movie. And that's why he, I'm not giving it away because it's not a, a movie about plots, but it's, that's why he cries at the end and he crying, he's drunk and he's like, I don't know what's going on. Like I really cannot pinpoint it. And uh, can you dig a little bit more into just, in terms of getting into Tyler's head, like how did you, was this something you worked on with Jason yeah. in, in sort of sussing out? Was there improvisation involved? Like. Just from your perspective, how did you come at that in, in the script and what we eventually see in the final mm -hmm. product? Um, I think alienation is really one of my one, number one subjects. In my movies, if you've seen my movies like in Magic Magic, The Maid, you know, Crystal Fairy even, uh, all of those movies, alienation plays a huge role. It's really something that fascinates me because I think I've suffered that from that a lot and I think that the society that we live now, it's so alienated that everybody is like that. Everybody feels slightly paranoid at a Sundance party, you know? Um, I can see it, guys. We're all freaking out inside. Um, yeah, but like, it, it truly, like alienation is a, a, so that kind of ran by mice. I was like, this is such a great example of alienation. And on, on, on top of that, or like parallel to that, like I'm making a comment on race in America that I, I feel that I haven't seen yet because everything that I've seen mostly like in movies or TV shows, like, it's not on the nose as a bad thing, but it doesn't, but it always feels that I always agree with everything. Whatever, whenever there is, you know, a movie about slavery, like, of course you're going to be on the side of the, of the victim. It's impossible not to, you would have to be a monster, you know, but, um, but then uh, when the victimizers are not intentionally victimizers, then you start to start, I don't know, like finding other angles to things. And that's what happened uh, with Tyrell, and then I forgot the question. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I totally Wait, forgot I could, the question. Well, it kind of leads into a question I was gonna ask, actually, which is about improv. She was asking if Jason oh, yeah, Mitchell, right, right, who plays yeah. Tyrell, did improv. And I've, I've read that you do use a lot of improv yes. in your, on your sets. this movie was crazy because I had tried to make a movie in the Caribbean about a family and the man that was gonna play the father role, which was the main role, uh, bailed out like a week before shooting, so I'm like, fuck Hollywood and fuck the movie stars. This is not right. So I was very disenchanted and then I was in Cuba sort of with my friend spending New Year's and we saw this and I'm like, I wanna make a movie about something simple like this. I love 
this is, I want to do it. Like, I, I just want, and he's like, you can use my house in the Catskills, man. I'm like, we, we got it. Like, that's all I needed, a house. And then I just called my friends. I called Michael Sarah, Chris Abbott, and like, well, some friends of mine that are not even actors are there. Like, the payoff for the house was like, I'll put you in the movie. So my friend Nico is in the movie. And then somebody, I, I had an idea for uh, who was going to play Tyler. It's very important, you know? Like, it's a very tricky subject. And like, for me, it was a huge deal. A lot of people warned me not to do it, too. That made me even want to make it more. Why, like, what did they because say? Because like, they were like, you're not a black man. You cannot, you cannot portray the black exp experience. And I'm like, yes, I can. No. No, but I was like, I know what you're saying, but like, I've been alienated, you know? And this is going to be a collaboration, too. And like, it's a subject that, as a foreigner, it's like, it's deep enough and it's clear enough. And I live in New York. I've been there for 16 years. And like, you see it all the time. You really see it all the time, and it's been proven here. When I show this movie, like, strangely enough, like, black women have approached me, and they're, like, really thankful that this is being portrayed in this way because it's a day-to-day -day thing that they go through. And, like, and look, I'm, I'm a, I, I know that hate people sometimes hate comparing minorities because they really all have their own context, right? But, uh, but as a gay person, I also live that, you know, that you are you are kind of gay before you are Sebastian, you know? And like that level, like it's something that we're gonna have to live with. And it's really sad that the black community has to live with for how, who knows how many more generations, if not forever, same as gay people, you know? And um, at least I'm not, and this movie doesn't come up with a resolution because it's not looking for an answer, but it's pointing that out. It's saying like, look, this is, we're living two separate things here. like. Oh my God, oh my God, they're here. Um, it's one of the animals falling from there. I have nothing to do with that. Um, um, but yeah, Jason was incredible. Like truly Jason is like as real as it gets and uh, he doesn't hold grudges, but he's also politically conscious and just very generous. And like, I think, this movie could have gone really wrong if like the person that I collaborated with wasn't confident enough to do the role and to go for it. And it was a collaboration. I was more in charge, of course, of the, the, the journey, the emotional and psychological journey of this character and Jason together with me on that. But he also had the somehow responsibility that I handed to him to uh, contextualize this, uh, this uh, sort of social issue or this uh, wound, you know, like, and, uh, and he did great. And he was like, I want to find the most sort of like nuanced, average sort of black man that I can. And like this to just to portray that this is a, such a daily common problem and it's not minimal. It is, it is people live under this, that stress, you know, um, and it's, uh, and people should be aware of it at least. And then again, the movie doesn't propose a solution, you know, and going back to the very, very first question about Get Out, that is like, it's not as satisfying because those white people dying, it's so satisfying in that movie. <laughs> and like, and that is really fucked up. I, ha I gotta say it, like, you cannot be happy because white people are being killed. Like, but we are. So what is, there's something going on, you know? And like, um, I don't know, I think things have gone like weird directions because of this 
you know, yeah, I have more examples, but I don't want to be too controversial. <laughs> or should I? <laughs> Who said yes? Woo! No, but like, okay, I'm going to get, God, there, God, please forgive me. Please don't make my Do life. It. Do no, it. No, no, but, but I was told, I wasn't here, but I think that for the birth of a nation, I heard that uh, before the movie played, there was a standing ovation. Right. And that to me talks so much about like white guilt and and sort of this patronizing uh, approach to um, to the black community, you know, because if you haven't seen a movie, don't clap, dude, like watch the movie, see if you like it, then you clap like and and I wouldn't like that people clap at my movie because I'm anything. I just want them to watch the movie, you know, and I feel that white people cheering when they see white people getting killed and also white people clapping at a movie they haven't seen is just complete psychosis. <laughs> and it's like, we need a way out. And I think conversation, it's really the way out. And, uh, and, um, and I've noticed among my white liberal friends that uh, they're terrified, really, to express themselves when it comes to race. And with all, with all reason, too, because there's, there's never the right thing to say and, like, Everybody can be easily crucified, you know, and like people are just terrified. And like we, I feel that we, I include myself because I live here, but it's just like we need to fucked up to, as intentions matter a little bit, you know, like, and if you don't have bad intentions and you're still ignorant, which is really most of people when it comes to this subject, it feels that there is this void of knowledge and confidence to talk about it. And it's only creating all of these weird behaviors. You know? Well, here's one distinction you could make between what you're doing and what a more kind of traditionally suspenseful movie like Get Out is doing is that is that you have a lot of ambiguities that are never resolved and that are left very uncomfortable at the end. And I won't spoil what any of those are, but I mean, I'm presuming that you want to leave your audience in that state of kind of suspended ambiguity at the end. Yeah, very much. I mean, it's like I, I think that it's so ter it's only so terrifying that something would end up with a shitty selfie, like. It talks so much about how the problem is being addressed to me, you know, and like that I find very tragic. And uh, that to me is a, a, it's a big payoff because we are really numb. We're really numb to blood. We're numb to death. So anything that ends with death or ends with somebody in jail or somebody crying hysterically over, over a dead body or somebody laughing while exploded an atomic bomb. Like, we're so numb to those things. Like, I don't get emotional with that kind of stuff, you know? Like, it hits me there because it could be gory or it could be emotionally very intense, but it doesn't sit with me. Like, I want questions. I don't want, like, mediocre uh, sort of... Um, mediocre pyrotechnical solutions that, uh, that are not solutions, you know, are just sort of a necessity to vent and to just like, but um, yeah, I'm a really big fan personally of doubts and like I wanna be, I wanna be challenged uh, and I think contradictions is all we got and, um, and that's why this movie is so unsatisfying for people that are looking for that payoff. Because in my mind the payoff is there but it's not the pay of you expect and like it might sound very judgy but I feel that people that don't see or cannot feel the pain that Tyler is feeling in this movie and don't consider that enough pain are very sort of insensitive to the day-to-day -day struggle that the black community goes through.
truly. Like, I don't think you need to see a slave whipped to death uh, to understand the pain. The pain is in front of you. It's when you walk into a restaurant, it's everywhere. You can see it, you know? So that's, that was my approach. And I remember the Safdie brothers. I don't know if you're familiar with their work. They made a, yeah, I mean, good time. Heaven's No Wide and Good Time. And they were like, make it explode, man. Like, come on, make something. Like, make Tyrell, make Tyler do something. You like, maybe even talk about this with somebody. And I really resisted the temptation to succumb to that um, payoff that now people are asking for. So, so yeah, there you go. Uh, I just I had a more kind of career encompassing question yeah, yeah. for you because I sort of saw this movie as part of a trilogy with I don't know if your last three in a row, but three of your recent films, which were The Crystal Fairy, uh, Magic Magic, and this one Tyrell, all of which oddly also co-star Michael Sarah as a somewhat malevolent possibly violent figure, but th those three movies made this kind of trilogy of entrapment because they're all about people that are outsiders in some way, a woman among men, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? A foreigner among Chilean, yeah. an American among Chileans and a black man among white, yeah. white men uh, and, and shows them sort of trapped in a social situation that's awkward and possibly dangerous. They're mm -hmm. kind of similar in that way. I don't know if you conceived of it as that, but. They really are. I mean, they do relate in that sense. And I feel that this movie relates to Nasty Baby in the sense that I wasn't sure with Nasty Baby what were the morals of my story. Like, I was not completely sure how I felt about my characters at the very end. I'm like, it's a movie where, like, these hipsters from Brooklyn get away with murder and, uh, of a homeless uh, man that lives in their street. And it's, it's a whole sequence of things that ends with them, like, getting rid of a body and, like, seemingly getting away with it. And, like... It makes you, it also, it's a movie like feel of ambiguity. And uh, I think that those two also relate very much, Tyrell and, uh, and Nasty Baby, in the sense that I'm like <laughs> passing the ball. You know, I think really Tyrell, the movie exists so much within the, the set of prejudices and, uh, and um, conditioning of, uh, the, of the audience. And I, I mean, like, I confess this, this movie was like specially made for Americans. Like, I was like, I'm gonna make something for them. Like, I truly, I don't think this movie, this movie is gonna play nicely as an anthropological maybe study in, in Europe, you know, if it's shown at Cannes, people will understand it, but nobody lives it more deeply than Americans. And I, and I confirmed that in the, in the screenings. Like, I was very impressed by the reaction. Like, it was like a little hurtful, actually to even like walk on stage, people were like, what? Um, but it's good, like I think it's a, con I, in my mind, it's a conciliatory movie, I, and I'm not trying to create any more device, can you imagine, yeah. And also they stab a Trump piñata with a machete, if you're into that. <laughs> Always yeah. a plus in any movie. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? Well, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much, yeah, Thanks, Sebastian. It. And that's a wrap. You'll find links to everything we discuss on our show page. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Berlin Williams, and our special live segment was also produced by Benjamin Frisch. Our excellent social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli, and special thanks to Faith Smith and Kirsten Holtz for helping to coordinate the event. And again, thank you to Dropbox. Until next time.